It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to Beyond the Noise. The new podcast from PR Week, where we get behind the headlines of the PR, communications and media industry and much more in each episode. My name is Frankie Oliver, founder of Climate and Social Change Communications Consultancy New Society. I am the host of this new podcast alongside two of the industry's biggest journalists and commentators, Editor-in-Chief Danny Rogers. Hello, Frankie. And UK Editor John Harrington. Hi, Frankie. So we have great ambitions for this new podcast. Not only will we look at the latest industry news, but we'll seek to get right under the skin of the most pressing issues and exciting trends facing professional communicators and reputation managers. Today, we are going to look at the latest PR Week Top 150, the huge annual report of top consultancies in the sector, how they're faring, which is being published as we speak. But before we start, we wanted to invite everyone in the industry to take part in the co-creation of this podcast. We want to hear from everyone, and I mean everyone in this industry, from new interns and account execs to CMOs, CSOs and CEOs. What's on your mind that you want to ask? Who do you want on the show? And what do you want us to discuss? Please do send in your comments, thoughts and suggestions to PRWeek at haymarket.com. And please don't hold back. All ideas are welcome, even the left field ones, and you never know, we might even do a good enough show that Rob Mayhew, my new hero, might think is worthy of a sketch. But for today, let's get back to the 150. As most of our listeners will know, the top 150 UK PR consultancies has been running for decades and is the most authoritative annual report on the PR industry that exists. It features the revenue, staffing, profits and other performance indicators of PR agencies of all types of the previous calendar year. Published each spring, the 2022 incarnation is being published as we speak, with many ranking tables already published and others still to come. So, 
Post-pandemic, we have seen huge growth in the industry. I think it was billed as magnificent. And I guess the key questions for us today is, is this a COVID bounce? And is the industry simply recovering gains from the 4.3% downturn it experienced in 2020? Or is the near 20% growth in the industry an indicator of true growth in the industry and a mark of growth to come? So, Danny, you've obviously written about this extensively and about the significant growth initially in the large agency sectors. What do you think is really driving that growth and and do you think it's sustainable? I think it is sustainable in terms of growth. I don't think over the next couple of years we're going to get this sort of huge boost in overall revenues. What our report shows is that not only is there big growth on last year, on 2020, but there's also a lot of growth on 2019. So Mm -hmm. to a certain extent, it's bounced back from the pandemic, which we know was tough. But equally, if you compare it with 2019, there's been a lot of structural growth in PR generally. So I think it's pretty encouraging for PR. Mm -hmm. We'll talk a bit later about what's driving this, but I do think it's an exceptional year and we're not going to get that growth in the next few years, sadly. Yeah. And John, I mean, the phenomenal gains in the mid-sized agencies, I think that's probably where there was some of the biggest growth, and especially within the consumer space. What do you think has been driving that? Again, do you think it's the, the bounce on the back of COVID or is there something bigger? I think with the kind of mid-sized, mid-tranche top 150 agencies, a few years ago, we described them as sort of the squeezed middle, really. Yeah. They didn't have the scale Absolutely. of the really big players. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, they didn't necessarily have the nimbleness of some of their smaller counterparts. And at some point, I think sort of maybe post the EU referendum, agencies of this type started diversifying a lot more and they started to see real benefits from things like healthcare, public affairs, crisis comms. And they hit a real sweet spot, I think, for clients who are facing new challenges, particularly, you know, in the last sort of four or five years. So we saw more growth among the mid-sized agencies. In 2021, this sort of mid-tranche of agencies grew by more than 25%. So they outperformed the top 150 as a whole. And as you say, partly this was down to the performance of consumer specialists in that tranche, many of them bounced back strongly after having a really difficult 2020 when a lot of clients sort of cut their brand marketing spend. Some examples of this growth, really incredible. The Romans uh, grew uh, 97% by revenue in 2021, Brazen 73%, Manifest 70%, Smarts 51%, really, really strong growth. But I actually think this is more than just recovery here. We saw that in 2020, the very difficult year, first year of the pandemic, you did see growth among some consumer specialists. Mm -hmm. So, for example, Taylor Herring and the Romans and Tin Man, they grew in 2020 as well. So this strong growth is on the back of, for some agencies, strong growth that did occur, even in the downturn Mm -hmm. and the sort of the real intense challenges of 2020. So it's a very positive landscape here. And the message we get is that many consumer agencies have been adapting to what clients want by Uh, producing more and better digital content and really investing in big creative teams. And I think this has been paying dividends. So, Danny, we've seen some remarkable growth, as you say, especially within the top agencies. Which ones are really standing out for you? Well, it's amazing. The top 10 agencies have all grown pretty effectively. I mean, the number one on this year's table, which is Brunswick. Congratulations to Brunswick. They grew by about you know twenty something percent, which for an agency that was already around sixty million, this is tremendous growth. And we saw similar twenty percent plus growth for companies like Havas, 
for Edelman, for Weber Shamwick for different reasons. We're seeing big growth rates even at the top of the table. So Weber Shamwick, definitely there was some acquisition involved there, wasn't there? In the other agencies, it's looking like organic growth had a very big play for all of those agencies. Yes, there's definitely some acquisition growth, quite a lot of acquisition growth for Weber Shamwick yeah. in that they've now amalgamated a company called Flipside, which has added a considerable amount to their overall figures. In fact, Weber has overtaken Edelman in second place, which is always interesting. But even so, the top one, two, three agencies, Brunswick, Weber and Edelman, have shown good growth. And this is really impressive for the industry as a whole. So in terms of those big agencies, I mean, we've just been through the most phenomenal amount of change, crises, and we have so many more crises effectively ahead of us. Do you think that's what's really potentially driving the growth of those big agencies? Without a doubt, that's a big factor. I mean, crisis has always been important for PR advisors. You know, PR people tend to thrive in a crisis. They tend to prove their value. And you get these big corporate agencies like Brunswick and Edelman, Taneo, FTI, advising big businesses on tough situations. That are, That's a big boost for their income. Will it continue? There's going to be no shortage of crises, I suggest. Absolutely. So, John, in terms of profit, we've seen some quite big numbers, obviously looking at uh, percentage growth rather than necessarily margin. What's your thoughts? Well, I wrote a predictions piece about the top 150 a while before publication, having not seen the data. I was right about a couple of things. I was wrong about profit. I thought profit would be hit more actually in 2021, partly because WPP in their full year results earlier this year, they said like for like revenue and PR was up 11.5%, but operating profit in the division was virtually flat. I asked why and I was told it was due to increased staff costs. So I thought this would be reflected more in the top 150. But actually, across the top 150, agency reported a really strong recovery in profit. The vast majority of agencies experienced profit growth. I mean, in fact, more than a quarter saw profit more than double, which is quite extraordinary, really. I mean, clearly, this is linked to the strong recovery in trading generally and the increased revenue. We all know about wage inflation and furlough ended for many agencies in 2021. And obviously, things like rising utility and other costs. I don't think these costs really started to hit the bottom line so much in great numbers in 2021. I expect we'll see more of this in 2022. That's my guess. And I guess especially so because of the real pressure on recruitment and retention. So retention was obviously, I think, quite challenged this year. Yes. Well, we ask people what their biggest challenges are each year and recruitment and talent is usually at the top, but it was more firmly at the top this year. We asked um, agencies to give various different challenges a mark from zero to five. The average mark for talent and recruitment was 4.3. And for context, the the next highest, which was new business and client retention, was 3.1 points to the tension between money in the door and money out the door that an agency is forever having to watch and the constant pressure of projects versus retainers. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we do also have some figures for average staff turnover, which are really interesting. Um, These rose, the the staff turnover figure rose from 15% in 2020 to 21% in 2021, which really shows that the Great Resignation is having an impact. Yeah, absolutely. So, Danny, your thoughts on the profitability? Yes, I think John's absolutely right. It was an amazing year of profitability in 2021. In 2020, we sort of expected profits to increase because costs were low, because people were laying off staff. They were cutting costs on office space and travel and expenses and so on. But we saw an even bigger growth in profits in 2021. And I think you're absolutely right that, you know, it was difficult to hire staff again. So the top line was increasing, but 
base cost lines were pretty low. It's something you must have experienced yourself running a, an agency, Frankie. Well, I'm running a startup, so I'm in a slightly different position to some of the bigger agencies that have necessarily got the overheads that would be going with that. And I think agencies can be quite reactive when it comes to big downturns in income. So I think sometimes, you know, there can be a bit of a knee-jerk reaction around whether, you know, staffing can be taken on for that quarter. But I think I agree, you know, to actually see that kind of stabilisation around profit, I think is really remarkable. But I think the, the key thing is going to be how do you actually retain people? Because absolutely people would have been working the midnight oil you know I know that people are working from home but all the trends I hear that people are starting working at seven eight o'clock in the morning you know people are working really hard out there in, in agencies and that's only sustainable for a period of time so as we move into hopefully a slightly more stabilized situation in 2022-2023 you know agencies are going to need to look really hard at how they're going to retain their people and maintain that level of profitability. Absolutely. And we hear lots of anecdotal tales of burnout as well, that Absolutely. people have been... Yeah, profitability is great, but if your workforce is really overworked and really stressed out, is that sustainable? Absolutely. And, and also we're seeing that on client side as well. It's great that we're shifting to a new hybrid way of working, but people are in constant Zoom calls and they're on all the time. And I think what worries me strategically long term on both the client side and the agency side is just sheerly people's ability to be able to think and think strategically and long term because people are chasing their tail. And you can see the burnout absolutely on client side. And that's the frustration for agencies when they're trying to help their clients plan long term is that a lot of clients are also struggling to kind of lift their heads beyond the day to day chaos that really can exist inside some client businesses. So Danny, this year we've seen, you know, many different, that the 150 cut up into many different specialist segments, including internal comms and ESG. Do you see that continuing or do you see that potentially getting even harder? It's a really good question. I've been working on the top 150 for many years. It's increasingly difficult to break agencies' work into consumer, corporate, and particularly things like ESG and uh, internal comms in this multi-stakeholder world in which we live, it's very difficult to draw the line between any particular discipline of, of PR. I think that will be a joy for many agencies to hear you say that, because I think that's what we're trying to really educate our clients on, is that what you do inside an organisation and outside an organisation can no longer be divided in quite that way. So what does that mean in terms of the 150 and how we might segment and try and understand well, the industry? It's always a slightly flawed process with yeah. the sector revenues. I feel for you. Yes. yes. <laughs> and each year people kind of ask us and they say, well, how do we divide it? And, and our take generally is you can kind of divide it how you want in the way that yeah. you think best represents your business, as long as you don't count the same revenue more than once. Problem we have had in the past, but we're very clear about that now. Because for exactly this reason, in a way, it, it's, it's partly how the agencies want to portray themselves if they want to say we're 100% B2B then that's fine if they want to say we're 50% B2B 50% tech or whatever else it isn't it is increasingly difficult I mean I think we're just going to have to keep going and then tweak it a bit as we go along really if the industry decides at some point that there's no such thing really as corporate PR or there's no such thing as consumer PR anymore then we might have to take a view but for the moment I think we're just about hanging in with these definitions and it does feel like if you take something like consumer pr there still feels like a community it's that time of the year your vacation is coming up 
You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. ...unity of consumer PR agencies that consider themselves consumer PR and financial PR agencies that still have that identity, although they, they may do quite a lot more. There feels like a cultural, intangible thing about them. I don't know what, what you two think, but... I was going well, to ask Frankie, actually, yeah. you know, as, yeah. as someone who's had a career mainly in consumer PR, is, is the title wrong? Is it consumer PR? Is it brand communications? It was... Well, it's a really good question, Danny, because, you know, consumer is a one-way street to sell a product. And actually, in a multi-stakeholder environment, we are now looking at people as being people and being citizens with the ability to make decisions about many things in their lives and the brands and the businesses and the institutions they wish to engage with. And ultimately, that's not necessarily a financial transaction. So the idea that you're just talking to consumers in a one-dimensional manner is absolutely changing. And I think agencies need to move much faster in really challenging their clients with that kind of thinking. And what about ESG? Because I know that's a big subject for you. Is, is ESG another of those slightly vague terms which sort of means all corporate issues for all consumers? Well, yes, absolutely. ESG is a financial reporting framework, and I think it has become the handle for anything to do with the environment, anything that might be slightly sustainable, anything that might have anything to do with social change. So absolutely, it does cover that, a very broad spectrum, I think, of potential work. I think the key thing for the industry to be looking at moving forward is not just whether it's doing something within the ESG space, but is it actually driving impact? And it's the impact that we need to be looking at as an industry, because you know we play a front and center role now in actually really driving societal change and if we don't deliver the change we don't solve the problem and that's what we will be held accountable for so I mean, we've obviously just been through the most incredible year. We've seen 20% of growth and we know that the communications industry has had a really critical role to play in just most unprecedented time in, in many of our lives and careers and it's simply not going away and potentially is going to get much worse with things like the cost of living crisis. Just today, we found out that 1.5 degrees from a climate perspective is on our door. Inflation is off the scale. What does this mean for the communications industry? And how are we feeling about not just 2023, but beyond that? And, you know, knowing that we've had some cushions like furlough in place when it comes to things like, you know, really popping certain businesses up. Where are we going? Well, first of all, I think it was a magnificent year for PR agencies. There was tremendous growth. But you're quite right. There's lots of challenges on the horizon. Some of them are geopolitical, war and pandemics and all sorts of crises that we, we can never see coming. Some are economic. You know, we've talked a lot about rising inflation and all sorts of extra costs coming into businesses. Climate change will have its own 
effect yeah. on, on businesses, of course, and uh, an extra cost, which is quite justified. Obviously, we don't know what the next year has got ahead of us, but there, there will be big challenges ahead. I think we're going to see a lot more activism. I mean, this has been one of the really big themes for me that's been changing the communications industry in the past, well, certainly since I've been writing about it since 2014, and social media having fueled this sense of investor activism and sort of social change activism. And employee activism. Employee activism, which is linked to both of those two things mm -hmm. as well. And I think that's where this industry becomes incredibly important to clients. So I think there is an opportunity there, but there's also a lot of threats and, you know, I think when, it, when we talk about things like employee activism, I think you're going to see a lot more backlash from issues related to the cost of living crisis. You're an employer that won't increase wages in line with or almost in line with inflation then you've got a real communications job in your hands. So, yes, and in terms of employee activism, absolutely, that's that's very true from a climate change perspective as well. But I think also what that means is that the potential client base is also changing because how many corporates are really invested in driving activism to ultimately ensure that we deliver against some of these um, ESG measures? Or actually, we're looking much more into the non-profit space in terms of actually how the communications business is going to leverage its weight to actually drive social change. And I think that, for me, is absolutely one of the key new opportunities that's coming ahead and how we sit between really understanding where the private sector is and where the non-profit sector is to actually be able to drive that societal change. So going back to the cost of living crisis, I mean, I have to say, I personally think it is a really, really big concern, especially for some of the mainstream consumer agencies. I'm hearing kind of informal feedback from marketing directors about real kind of drops in big ticket consumer revenue with sales kind of going off the edge, really when the energy crisis started to really crunch around about February of this year. We know that there's going to be an, obviously another sort of jump in October in terms of potentially the energy crisis. So... For me, I am quite genuinely concerned for the industry from a consumer perspective. What are your thoughts? I think the industry is right to be concerned because I think there's only so much you can do if clients reduce their budgets and the whole industry needs to adapt to the new reality of spending being down. Having said that, I'm going to be slightly more optimistic and say I think the communications industry specifically has shown itself to be a better value and more effective way of communicating to the public than sort of paid media. I think there are a lot of challenges going on there that we won't have time to go into, but I certainly think that the number of things that this industry can do in terms of communicating with people, whether that's through basic media relations or it's through sort of content marketing, um, SEO, and all the things we were discussing earlier on, I do think that that is an incredibly important string to our bow that we have. So I completely agree with you. It is hugely challenging. But I also think that the recent experiences and recent developments in the industry should give us some sense of, if not unbridled optimism, at least cautious optimism, to use a cliche. And I think alongside that, because there are just so many things going on, the diversification of skills, I think, is definitely going to be required within the industry. So, for example, from a consumer perspective, the inward-facing role that they potentially will have with employee comms, I think, is really going to increase. And I think, therefore, potentially consumer agencies really need, need to wake up to that opportunity. No, I think you're both absolutely right. You know, the great thing about the PR industry, in my experience, is that First of all, it's quite recession-proof. Exactly. And when you, I've seen a, quite a few recessions in the PR industry and PR professionals come out of it quite well. And part of that's because, as you identify, Frankie, we can adapt. I say we, the PR industry can adapt 
to doing different things and as to John's point at lower cost than some other consultancies so I think you know let's get this right it's going to be tough it's going to be tough for businesses if costs go up it's going to be tough for consumers but I think there are opportunities within that as well for PR professionals so we shouldn't be too downbeat. Absolutely. I think it would just come down to, you know, how brave is a client prepared to be during this time and therefore it may impact the type of work that potentially clients are kind of signing up to as opposed to necessarily the volume of work. I think there might be another trend from this as well, which is um, we've seen an increase in M&A activity in the industry over the period of the pandemic. And I think it stands to reason to me that if costs are going up, agency owners are going to want to reduce overheads and mergers and acquisitions is one way of doing that. I do think that that trend is going to continue. And as well as reducing overheads, you've got this constant process at the moment of agencies wanting to sort of the number of specialist um, offers that they have. And during the period of difficulties with a recruitment, one way to do that in a quicker way, if you've got enough money, is to buy. And we've been seeing plenty of agencies doing that of all sorts you know we've seen some of the big listed groups we've also seen sort of smaller owner operated groups and sort of everything in between really and private equity has shown a lot of interest in the sector so i think one offshoot of the crisis is going to be more m&a i suppose the pr agencies have two options don't they at times of growing costs they push their fees up and they charge more for their services which is possibly something that pr agencies should have fought for a long time ago Their other option is to strip out costs and you can do that by changing your business model, amalgamating with other businesses. I think the other big trend that maybe we haven't talked about is really the growth of the freelance market and the change into the hybrid model that a lot of agencies are now looking at, especially with a huge diversification of skills, but also that very sort of big shift that happened where a lot of people in the industry do actually want to work in a more freelance basis. It is an absolutely thriving market now and a definite career choice for people going into PR to absolutely explore that route. And I think it's it's really allowing people to have much more flexibility around the that come with project and retainer work. Is that something that that you've been looking at within the agencies that you've been talking to? Yeah, we've had some coverage of the sort of freelance market recently, and that's that's absolutely the case. The fact that freelancers are in, are in so much demand that, you know, it's causing difficulties for some of the agencies being able to just have enough resources. We're also seeing agencies like the Difference Collective, for example. I think it's great to see what Angie Willis has done, obviously from Virgo Health, with actually creating you know, a collective-only model now at kind of £2 million worth of income. I mean, that was unheard of, I would have said, a few years ago, and I think she's done phenomenally well. Yeah, something we've certainly noticed is the change in business model, and you notice this in the productivity per head in the figures in the top 150 table that some businesses look very, very productive. And that's because, as you say, they've got a more loose-knit network of freelancers and people they can pull in on certain projects. And I think you're right. That's We're going to see a lot more of that flexible working, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's also, we've also seen a huge increase in the number of new agency launches over the COVID period, which probably links to this, actually. I think the number sort of slightly fell in 2021 versus 2020 when it really exploded because... For obvious reasons, a lot of people reassessed their lives. People would have been made redundant or on furlough and they wanted to do other things. But I think this is a really important dynamic in the industry that is in the way the sector operates. But I think it's good because I think there are a lot of interesting business models and specialisms that are being kind of tested 
in these new businesses that have cropped up in the last two years or so. So I think it bodes well. I think one of the big trends as well, I remember seeing a piece of research about how many agency people were actually wanting to move in-house, I think is also Mm. a very big trend that's going on. I mean, I think it is really tough working in agencies and I think the burnout on the back of COVID has has definitely been felt. Um, Yeah, I've I've spoken to some headhunters over the past year and they've said there's definitely a trend for PR professionals to prefer to work in-house post-pandemic. For all the reasons you say, it's, it's seen as a more secure role. It's possibly seen, rightly or wrongly, as better paid. It's seen as less stressful. This is a challenge for agencies, right? If they can't yeah. get the talent because the talent is going into client side. But there was a point where actually some businesses were effectively staffing their own comms agencies inside their own agencies, much like the advertising trend started. So I think we definitely saw that with, you know, companies like Netflix. Insourcing or outsourcing, yeah. Yeah, and bringing all of that. In housing, I I believe they call it. In housing, thank you, Danny. So I think there was a definite shift. And I think the pressure, the financial pressure on every single head that can exist inside a PR agency really probably has been felt, you know, especially in the last couple of years. And I think how you shelter your your people from that, I think, is really tough within the agency environment. And I think because we've shifted from retainer to a project-based model, you know, knowing what's coming down the line beyond the quarter, I think sometimes can be very challenging. So I think we're agreed that one of the biggest challenges facing PR agencies is people and how you treat people and the models for employing people. And I think what then comes up the food chain from that is actually the agency and the client relationship. Because if the client relationship is is not necessarily setting the agency up in the right way, that boundaries are being overstepped, that there isn't enough confirmation up front about what work is coming down the line, those agencies won't be there anymore. And I think it's really important for clients to think quite carefully about the innovation and the entrepreneurship that it wants to see from those agencies. You know, it wants fresh ideas. It wants to know that it's got the, the press of a, a button, the ability to call on the best expertise. But that is only going to be there if agencies are treated with the right level of respect. We haven't yet even kind of gotten into the whole new business piece around pitching and the amount of pitching that goes on, the amount of wasted money that's put into that. So I think at some point we also need to look at the, the relationship between agencies and clients and, you know, are they just service providers or respected partners? For a future podcast. Definitely. Thanks so much, everyone, for listening. We really hope you enjoyed the show. We will be on every two weeks and can be found on all the usual podcast platforms. We look forward to welcoming you back then. And don't forget to send us your thoughts, comments and questions to prweek at haymarket.com. Goodbye for now. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. 
Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.